We'd like to welcome you to our first luminary lecture of the semester. Our speaker today is Library Journal 2007 mover and shaker and SLIS lecturer, Patty Wong. Patty serves as the Deputy Director of Library Services at the Stockton-San Joaquin County Public Library. Her work in cultural diversity, youth development, and developing joint ventures and collaborations between public libraries and community agencies has been published in a number of journals, conference proceedings, and edited collections. Today, she will be speaking to us about libraries and community outreach. So welcome, Patty, and thank you for coming. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, and thank you very much, Heather, and the um, ALA student chapter here at uh, San Jose State University. Can everybody hear me okay? Great, wonderful. Um, I'm going to try to convey some key aspects of community outreach as it relates to successful library services. No matter what type of library you work in, um, you all serve communities. Um, you all work towards increasing consumer participation in your facility. And of course, the key ingredients of a successful library program begins with the library staff's honest, forthright, respectful, and sincere approach to touching one's community. Um, I wanted to spend just a, a, a quick second talking about my own institution. I work for the Stockton-San Joaquin County Public Library. Uh, we are the only city-county library left in the state. Um, all of my staff uh, report to the city of Stockton and the county actually contracts with the city of Stockton to provide library services. Why do we want to provide community outreach in the first place? Well basically it all stands, uh, it all rolls back to the mission of one's library. Um, this is our mission. The Stockton-San Joaquin County Public Library creates an environment for connecting people and ideas by providing residents of all ages with resources to pursue their educational, civic, business, and personal interests. All organizations should really possess a mission statement. It's your reason for being, a pronouncement to the external public of the function and goals of the agency and its value to the community. One of the things I wanted to share with you is that um, not every agency or organization that you're ever going to work with or encounter also has an internal vision. And that is something that um, I think is very intrinsic in increasing the value, but it sends a message to the staff in terms of what we value as an organization. Our internal vision statement to one another. We will effectively position the library as a critical and integral community leader in order to garner future support to reach all San Joaquin County residents. We will impact the lives of all community members through exemplary services. So it's not just about being mediocre. We will strive to be a recognized added value, a community asset that is responsive to the changing needs of San Joaquin County. The vision statement is really an internal reflection of the ultimate goals of the organization, the what, the how, the roadmap in fulfilling the agency mission. The vision statement is meant to be a guide for our staff and a path to achieving the library's goals. As the community grows, the population figures will change, but the goal will remain the same, to impact as many San Joaquin County residents as possible, whether through direct service, information referral, or as a future resource. Sorry, I'm getting used to this techie. Okay, <clears throat> these are some of the outcomes that are a result of community outreach, why we want to do it, um, what, what's valuable to us, 
Um, and these are tangible results. Relevancy, relationship building and sustainability, investment, economic development, strategic positioning, and partnering. A valued library is one that is actively relevant and responsive to the needs of the community. The library's ongoing role as community developer, bringing community together, needs to start with an organizational understanding of the continuing need to be meaningful to the changing needs of the community. <clears throat> De facto, the library is an asset builder. That's what we're all about, is, is uh, continuing to develop our own community. Relationship building and sustainability. If the library continues to be an active, visible, responsive community member, then trust, confidence, and respect will naturally create and maintain bonds within the greater community. Investment. Now, um, investment goes two ways. If the library, investment in the library as a physical and collateral entity within the community, and the library also investing and reinvesting in the community's development. It's our responsibility to have this investment be a two-way street. Um, economic development. Um, the libraries across the country are now being recognized as resources within the community to develop the economy and not just be a result, uh, a healthy result of a, a booming economy. A healthy, vibrant, <coughs> excuse me, well-resourced well-resourced library um, is recognized as a catalyst for economic growth and not just the result or the symptom of economic vitality. Finally, um, strategic positioning. <clears throat> the library outreach um, is really uh, an intentional strategic action to position and brand the library as a vital community value, central to the community's development, ensuring positive outcomes for local and strategic Referendums, voter initiatives, construction, strategic plans, facilities, master plans, funding, <clears throat> overarching political and financial support, and of course, marketing, branding, and immediate recognition. And all of those outcomes um, add up to the library as a vital resource, as a potential partner, as, some, as an agency that you would want to partner with rather than an afterthought. And that's really the goal of all of our community outreach, is to be the, um, the community good within, within our, our own service area. There are several outreach methods you, that you can take in terms of <clears throat> um, endeavoring to contact community. And I'm just going to list a few of the, uh, the implementation outreach methods that the Stockton-San Joaquin County Public Library currently uses. And then I'll talk a little bit about uh, what's happening throughout the country. Um, and as we move forward, some of the things that you can do in your own community right now, regardless of where you happen to be working. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that's a little bit different um, in my own neck of the woods right now is that we, we underwent uh, an entire reorganization uh, that began in July. Uh, it took about a year and a half to put together. And through this reorganization, we have a dedicated unit just for programming and, and, and community outreach. Um, it's, uh, it was a, a major commitment of resources um, and allocation of staffing, um, and it hasn't come without its bumps, but it's been a very enjoyable process, and we're seeing a lot of fruits of that labor right now. Um, and I wanted to actually mention, of course, that this was the brainchild, brainchild excuse me, of our director, Natalie Rencher, um, 
who really had the vision, I think, to look at our library and, and use existing resources. We didn't ask for additional funding. We didn't get additional staff. What we did was we manipulated our system and took a look and saw where we had the majority of our staff, and actually that was at the Central Library. So we dispersed our staff and the resources that went along with that. So there are actually line items that are dedicated to programming and outreach um, in serving our entire community. Um, <clears throat> obviously, one of the things that all of pu many public libraries, but libraries in general, welcome. Um, we include youth literacy, adult literacy, our, our mobile library, um, and then we have administration of all community outreach efforts. Both full-time and grant-funded staff are allocated to this position. These positions, excuse me. Obviously, outreach for a public library includes school visits, attendance at fairs and festivals, um, <clears throat> marketing and publicity, partner contacts, um, and special events. And lastly, one of the things that our library embarks on is we have, we administer a homework center grant program for the city of Stockton where we, um, we reach up to 3,000 children every year um, and we administer, it's a re-granting process of basically where we devote $150,000 of our own money to operate after school homework programs throughout the city. Um, I wanted to just kind of point out to you that in the middle here, this is our um, organization chart, and what we decided is um, these are neighborhood services, so these are the branches. Um, and then what we did was devote this whole one section to community outreach and programming. Um, that's not a small feat. Actually, we have a division manager responsible, and so that's our middle management team, responsible for one, two, Three. I have three division managers and now a fourth one. So we dedicated one whole middle management person in addition to um, our frontline staff for that purpose for community outreach and, and uh, programming because we see it as an intrinsic value to the organization in moving us forward. Let me talk a little bit about youth literacy. One of the things that um, I'm proudest of saying is that we have um, <clears throat> three main uh, focus in our youth literacy camp. They are our Reach Out and Read San Joaquin. Um, training Wheels and Families Reading Together. Reach Out and Read San Joaquin. It's part of a national movement um, called Reach Out and Read. Uh, we are the first um, and the largest in the country to partner with, uh, with pediatric clinics and the library. Many other Reach Out and Read programs throughout the country partner, do not partner with, they partner with a school, they partner with a hospital, but they don't really partner between the pediatric clinics directly and the library. We were the first in the country to do that. I'm very happy to say that. And we are the largest with 15 clinics under our belt. Um, it's award-winning. We're very happy to say that as well. What happens in the, is that in the family pediatric clinic, um, the well baby and the well, during the well baby and well child visits, we actually um, support that effort by providing volunteers that actually um, sit in the waiting rooms and they, um, they read to young children. They model behavior. They um, inform the parents and the caring adults that come with the children um, about appropriate, age appropriate materials to read. They help with the selection of those materials. And then during the well baby and well child visit with the pediatrician and the nurse practitioner, those individuals actually use the book in hand, the children's book, um, to, to measure eye acuity, um, to uh, excuse me, to measure eye acuity, to test reflexes, um, to uh, recognize word patterns and letter recognition. Um, 
And I've experienced this myself with my own children, and it's, it's a pretty wonderful experience. One of the things that also happens is that National Reach Out and Read gives each of our um, programs what they consider book credits. So we work with Scholastic Incorporated. Um, we do get some additional funding, and then we actually provide um, books for those parents to take home to build up home libraries. So the child, so every immunization, every well baby, every well child visit, um, they receive a book to take home. And um, it's a wonderful program. I encourage all of you to think about Reach Out and Read. It's a very strong program. It's nationally known. And they're always looking for more libraries to participate in the process. Um, one of the great things about our Reach Out and Read program is that many of our volunteers are bilingual. Um, San Joaquin County is a very diverse county. Uh, we probably have about at least 30 different languages that are spoken through our schools. So um, we at least try to have um, a Spanish speaker in each one of the clinics, but we also have Vietnamese speakers and Cambodian speakers as well, um, and some Hmong speakers uh, in addition to that. We're recruiting directly from the community. That's part of the community outreach effort in general, is to take your volunteers and take the best out of that community um, and bring that uh, into the library and outside the library as well. Uh, we distribute about 1,500 books annually, so you can kind of do the math and see how many children are being uh, enriched by this process. Um, in terms of letting you know how this is funded, we do get money from, as you know, Scholastic Incorporated in those, those book credits, uh, but we also get money from First Five, from United Way, and also from our own Library and Literacy Foundation for San Joaquin. Um, <clears throat> Another partnership between the Health Plan of San Joaquin and the library is our Training Wheels program. And that was originally funded with California State Library monies um, through the Library Literacy Program. Um, they actually helped us purchase that almost $200,000 vehicle. It's a 32-foot uh, vehicle, looks just like a bookmobile, only it's outfitted with materials um, for zero to five. Um, since then, we've received a first five funding. Um, it's been a phenomenal program. We go to geographically isolated areas. They may be preschools, that might be part of um, a K through eight kind of situation. Um, all zero to five, um, bringing uh, books that parents and children can check out. We do a story time at, um, at the work site, at the site, excuse me. And then we model appropriate parenting kinds of um, teaching and behavior, and, and we provide a lot of other good information about community resources to the caring adults that are part of that program. Um, so we uh, generally, I think we distribute about 2,800 items every year, and like I said, that's, um, that's now funded uh, through First Five and also partially through United Way. One of the things in each of these programs is they are a little bit labor intensive, so I do have to tell you that one of the things that we do in, throughout our grants now is that we actually ask for funding to support part-time um, staff to assist us in this endeavor. It's not just all full-time funded, um, although we do have a considerable amount of in-kind investment with our full-time staff that are allocated to the program. The final, um, oh, and I, the other thing I wanted to mention about training wheels is that even though it's a 32-foot vehicle, because the air brakes are designed for a regular car, 
It doesn't require an additional license. A lot of people are afraid of driving a larger vehicle. I want to let you know that um, I've actually been on the vehicle myself, and I've actually been able to back up and move it forward. So it's not that hard. We provide a lot of good training to our staff um, on how to drive the vehicle as well. So I encourage you, because bookmobiles and, um, and youth literacy vehicles like training wheels really make a big difference in that community, and you, get, you can get firsthand a real fine glimpse of the impact that you're making in that community. Um, the last youth literacy program that we have um, that I wanted to feature, we have several, but Families Reading Together is a six to ten week series of programs where uh, we go to Lamaze clinics, we go to um, uh, wherever there happens to be parents and children together, and they can be of any age, and we model appropriate reading behavior. We share the, um, the book with, with uh, the parents and the children together. Um, we, um, and what I mean is this, it's a little bit different from a regular story time. We're, we're talking about one-on-one -on -one where, where we're actually having the, um, the parent cuddle that, and nurture that child that's with them. And then they share the book together. We go through the different parts of the book. We encourage our parents to, um, to, uh, to not just model the behavior, but to really uh, feel comfortable with the book in all of its aspects to talk about the colors and the illustrations, the type of art that's involved in there, the kind of writing. Um, and then this also, incidentally, helps us fold into our adult literacy program because through this program we find many adults who might qualify for our program and we're able to encourage them without, um, without making them feel um, uncomfortable to participate in other programs that we have to offer. Oh, in this program also we, we uh, do build a home library together. Okay, that leads us into adult literacy. Adult literacy is often uh, one of the mainstays of any public library service. It continues to be um, ours as well. One of the things that we're able to do in addition to, um, adult literacy has had a variety of different changes over the past 25, 30 years since its inception. Um, I'm happy to say that we were one of the first few libraries to get involved in adult literacy way back when. Um, We've gone from a, a very structured, I would say, program to now it's, very in, um, it's based on environmental learning. If someone in our adult uh, literacy program has a goal of wanting to be, let's say, a, a short order cook, we don't emphasize what's written in the books. We actually um, bring in menus. We talk about recipes. We go to the shelf and look up cookbooks. Um, that is the motivation. It's goal-based learning. And that's one of the big differences now in our adult literacy program that I think the whole state has really caught on fire with. And it's much more effective. Um, we have used successfully two, um, two and three AmeriCorps staff where we, pay, we join with our, the existing AmeriCorps program. It's part of the state library um, joint <clears throat> effort with AmeriCorps. Um, and we have some satellites ar areas now. That's part of um, our ability to extend the library services out of the building. Um, because we recognize that transportation is a problem sometimes. Sometimes it's a matter of um, the central library or another edifice being very imposing. Uh, we need to make it as easy on our customers um, and our consumers as possible. Um, I wanted to mention very briefly um, at Cuff, uh, our Jothi Jones Center, which is in the southeast part of Stockton, very low income area, very high risk, lots of folks needing our assistance. They have now dedicated some staff um, time and also uh, physical rooms within their new center that they just opened for our adult literacy satellite program. Um, now all of these that I'm talking about to you don't come without um, cultivation. 
There's been lots of time, there's been lots of energy, lots of MOUs, lots of agreements to have to go through, lots of financing and lots of give and take and back and forth, but it's really worth it. Um, we saw literally probably about 200 people at that opening at that Dorothy Jones Center um, last month. And many of them came up to us and said, you know, we started with your literacy program and their satellite program and we're going to come back. And that's a very hard thing for adults to, to talk about. And so it was very gratifying for us to know that we're making an impact in that community. Families for Literacy, that's an offshoot it's an, um, of, the adult, of the adult literacy program where we work actively with families who have younger children at home, modeling the, um, the appropriate age development behavior, encouraging those adults to read with their children. It's, it's so beautiful when all of a sudden you can see for the first time a parent being able to cuddle with their young person at home and, and actually be able to read something with them. And so they're learning words together. That's the beauty of the program. Um, and we also offer, as I said, building up home libraries. The library, uh, the literacy rate in, in Stockton and San Joaquin County is a little bit more than you um, might have on a national level. National is about 20%. In San Joaquin County is upward of 30%. So one in almost every three of our adults is functionally illiterate. Um, it's a pretty hard fact that we have to deal with. Does it seem insurmountable? Of course, there are days when it does. But that doesn't mean that we can't stop trying. And that's what we need to do. Um, conversational English practice, um, as you may or may not know, the State Library um, really funds folks who are, who are primarily English speakers. So what we've done is expand our own program um, by actually asking community people to come in and just practice English. We have this at the, our Fair Oaks branch. Uh, it's a very effective program. Um, so we hear lots of languages, and then we hear everybody speaking English at, at one time. It could be anything like practicing on how to get on the bus, or practicing um, how to read the bus schedule, or practicing um, you know, how to order in a restaurant, how to go to McDonald's. I mean, not that everyone does all of those things, but really those are basic <coughs> kinds of things that a lot of our community feel very ill-equipped to deal with and they need um, someone who's not going to be um, scary to them to really help them through that process. Um, every year we also have an, um, a tutor learner celebration where we celebrate the goals of our uh, program. Um, there's nothing like uh, recognizing someone for all of their their good work because it's a lot to learn how to read. Okay, Mobile Library, um, I think many of you have are familiar with this. We really emphasize geographically isolated areas in our, in our seat in our county. And what does that mean? That means that we have to negotiate with um, the landowners to be able to park that 32-foot vehicle. But the bigger issue is um, it's a little bit different from a moving branch, although it may have that appearance, but we're not necessarily worried about counts here. We're not interested necessarily if 500 or 1,000 people come to one stop. We want to reach those young people and those families where they live because they can't get to any of our other branches. We have um, 13 branch libraries throughout the county, but we, we service 100 square miles. There's no way that everybody can get. Um, and I just told you about our illiteracy problem in the county. Uh, we have many people without cars. And unfortunately, our rapid transit, you know, I know they're listening to me somewhere, is not the best in the world. So um, it's not like living in the Bay Area where there's lots of transit opportunities. So a lot of people hoof it. And that's a pretty hard thing when the closest library to you is in excess of 10 miles. Um, we try to reach, obviously, children, teen, and adults, but we also go to assisted living facilities, we go to schools, um, and we go to preschools, and a lot of retirement centers. Wherever people are congregating, that's where we like to be. Okay. 
Um, you can see kind of a picture of our mobile library. It's a little bit different from the state look. We have pictures of actual people. Those are actually people in our community that we went and photographed them, got permission. Um, and then we put out a, a directory of, of all of the different stops that we go to. We usually go to the stop um, every other week. Okay, more community outreach activities. Um, I wanted to let you know that I just came back from Family Day in the Park um, where we had, uh, where we celebrated our last day of Stockton Reads. Um, unfortunately, Stockton is also um, uh, 70 out of 70 out of the Hennon um, literacy uh, uh, rating. And so that means, and that's based on number of um, subscribers to the newspaper, number of bookstores, number of library locations. Um, and a little bit on the literacy rate. 70 out of 70 out of 200, for those um, communities that are 250,000 or more, that's across the country. We are dead last. So um, what does that mean? Uh, our, our city council person um, from District 5, Susan Eggman, took it upon herself to say, hey, you know what? We can't do this anymore. We have to up the literacy rate. We have to bring libraries and, and reading to uh, the attention of all of our community members. So from the month of May, uh, a little bit shortly after that report came up until today, we actually invited everyone in the community to read. And, we, and she actually personally, um, there was a, uh, a personal uh, invitation from herself to actually, we, we recorded everything that people read after they registered with us by district. And there was a district competition between all the council members. Interestingly enough, her district won. Um, but in this time, for such a low level literacy city, I have to tell you, we had more than 84,000 items read. That's a pretty big deal for us. Um, we, we, um, we asked in partnership with our local theater, because I have to tell you, in our 16 theater cineplex, there were more people, three times as many people, go to the theater than to the library in our downtown center. And we figured that out, so we went and advertised <laughs> at the theater. So for a month, we had ads running, talking about the Stockton Reads program, and, and we believe that we got a lot of people interested in reading because we went to where they go, where they celebrate their time. Um, uh, so that's Stockton Reads. Uh, this Tuesday, we are celebrating, um, this, this whole week is uh, San Joaquin A Plus Reads Week, beginning today. Um, at the Family Day in the Park, uh, and, you know, it was pouring rain today. We had literally probably about 3,000 children come out with their families today. Um, it's still going on right now from about 10 to 5. Um, they celebrated Stockton Reads, but one of the things that we highlight is this Tuesday is, is Library Day. And we have a reading rally where we invite children from all over the place to come with their schools to celebrate reading and to come to visit the library. We have a series of different literacy events. Ashley Wolf, the children's author and illustrator, is coming by to, to give her greetings. Um, everyone will walk, take home a book. And we're focusing this year on uh, fifth graders because that's one of the places where we lose them. About fourth and fifth grade, K through three, you know, they can get there because their parents really care about it and, and other caring adults. But when we get into the, the middle age levels, fourth, fifth, and sixth, they're, they, we lose them. We lose them. So, um, so we really wanted to emphasize fifth graders this time, and uh, we have 700 kids that are coming. Um, and thanks to our friends of the library and the Library and Literacy Foundation and, and Target and Washington Mutual and a number of other folks, everyone will come with a bag of goodies um, that focus on education and, and a free book. Okay, um, real quick, I'm going to move on real fast. Um, I wanted to talk about some of our partnerships. We are working with the University of Pacific, 
Omega Delta Phi, which is a uh, local Latino male fraternity, and our board of supervisors. El Joven Noble is um, based on Jerry Teo's um, uh, uh, award-winning program, where he was trying to turn around the lives of gang kids, really. That's really what it is. And we're working with Stag High School because one in every three of those kids at Stag High School, which is a population of a thousand kids, uh, high schoolers, is a gang member. So we're working with this core group initially of just 22 young men that are in, in, uh, invested in El Haven um, to provide library resources. Um, one of the things that we're able to offer is Learning Express. It's a database. I don't know if you're aware of it. I encourage each of your libraries to buy it. It's a pretty expensive product, but it has more than 10,000 online tests, anything from GED, ASVAB, um, grade-level reading, grade-level tests. Um, it's very reflective. It's not accelerated reader for all of those audience members that are familiar with school libraries. It's a little bit better than that. Um, um, and one of the things that's great about it is it's available um, online remotely. So all you need is a library card and it's all free. So one of the things that we're doing with Hoven, we know these young men are probably not going to graduate but they can take the GED. We can help them practice to get to accomplish those goals. And so we're working with all of these young people um, to try to provide some tutoring resources for them. And one of the things that we were able to do is remind these young men from De Omega Delta Phi, who actually, many of them are um, graduates from Stag High School, um, who are now UOP students, that youth development is critical here. These young men need some roots. They need to feel wanted. They need to, they need to develop themselves. And so we pointed, of course, to Search Institute's um, um, asset building program for that. Uh, one of the things we're working with is bringing adult literacy training to our honor farm, which is where our inmates are. Um, and they, they walk around free freely at the honor farm. Um, but we only have one pair right now. So our board of supervisors, one of our supervisors said, hey, you know, Patty, why can't we get this going? And so we're actually recruiting um, our adult tutors who are retired sheriff, retired law enforcement. Anyone that's worked in the law enforcement industry is not going to be afraid of going to the honor farm, essentially. So that's, we're taking a different tactic of getting our tutors. That's what it means. Um, one of the things we also do every two weeks, sadly to say, you know, it makes it sound like my county is really in desperate straits. It's not. We're making a big difference. But one of the things that we're working with very clearly with our parolee and corrections team is that we have 80 young men and women, and maybe not so young, that are paroled to our community every two weeks. Every two weeks, we get 80 more people. What does that mean? That means that we need to provide resources to them. So we go out and actually provide community outreach, educational programs. We talk to them about um, all of our library programs. We get them library cards, and then we invite them to come in. They don't have to be a part of the adult literacy component, but I have to tell you that one in every three of those cannot read either, and that's part of the problem. So we help them. Um, develop their resumes, talk about job development, careers. Um, a lot of them need GED prep. A lot of them like the anonymity of the library. They're not real clean about and, and happy about going to, to the parole office to learn how to do GED. So they'd much rather come to us where they can use the computers and complete anonymity. Because obviously, we, don't, we do intake, but we don't um, share any information about them. Okay. Homework Center Grants, I mentioned that a little bit briefly. It's a 10-year program. Um, the library has taken this on. We award $150,000 annually. We serve about 3,000 children minimally um, and $10,000 maximum per nonprofit school. This is to really develop. Um, 10 years ago, the, um, the city of Stockton said, ooh, the schools need some help. <laughs> and so um, 
there are much more resources now within schools. The 21st Century Grant, you know, Community Learning Center, ACES is out there. We all help the schools with those as well by providing um, library resources and outreach to those um, communities. But this is another thing that we do. And actually, I go school visiting. I, I check them out to make sure they're using the, the money correctly and appropriately. We do um, youth development training with them. We do, we do a lot. And so I want you to kind of think about this as you're thinking about your own programs. Okay, ingredients for success. Know your community. That's a big deal. Um, one of the things that I, I've come across with most of my students and quite a few of my staff is that we don't, we need to spend some time in the community. You need to shop there, you need to eat there, you do your laundry there. Um, it's important for you to be a part of that community. You have to have investment. Um, you need to do demographic research. And I encourage all of you that are going through um, uh, looking for jobs out there, you need to do research about that library that you're applying to too because there has to be a good fit between yourself and their commitment to community outreach um, and how they go about their business. Um, you know, U.S. Census data obviously is, a very, is very easy to get a hold of, but planning records, housing records, um, the general plan, school district information, county department of ed, Private schools will share information with you. They won't give you the classified stuff because that's confidential, but they'll give you some demographics about the type of young people that are coming. Don't forget homes, homeschoolers, um, ethnic and mass media, community-based organizations. United Way has a ton of information. Um, youth and ethnic coalitions, merchants associations, chambers, visitors bureau, higher ed, police and fire. We get a lot of our data from Parks and Rec, too. Um, so do all that data collection and do all that demographic research. Do some community analysis. Um, get community input. Uh, one of the things that we forgot, forget sometimes to do is talk to our community <laughs> about what they want. That's, that's our reason for being. Uh, we need to know what their needs are, and we need to be responsive and respectful of those needs and communicate with the community. If there's something that we can't do right now or that needs to be phased in, then tell them. Um, because they're looking, whenever they give some input, they want some feedback right away. They're expecting something. And you will not be successful about community outreach if you don't respond. Um, all of this kind of folds into doing a needs assessment and being, um, doing it timely. I would say every three to five years. I know it's a lot of work, but you need to be on top of the changing needs of your demographics in the community. Um, and then keep in mind, obviously, that people are not always as forthcoming. So you're going to have to approach the needs in different ways and, and getting that data. Surveys, anonymous surveys are really good, but keep in mind you need to work on your, the, the future consumers. We like to say non-users in the library world. Future consumers. You know, in the city, in the county of, of San Joaquin, we want to reach 610,000 people. That's our goal. And um, if we don't state it and if we don't say it out loud, we're never going to reach that. Um, okay, I'll get, I'll get on with my soapbox here. Um, preparation. Before you go out to the community, make sure you have your ducks in a row. Make sure your marketing and publicity is accurate. Make sure that it's multilingual and, and re responsive to the needs of the, the community that you've got. Um, make sure that it's easy to read. Uh, one of the things that we had a difficult time with in my own community is that we, have, um, we had a lot of, of Spanish language translations that were done at really high level Spanish. That didn't sit well with my community. They turned off right away to it. As soon as I figured that out, wow, we got someone from the community to translate our Spanish language materials because it was, we were way up here and they wanted community Spanish. 
They didn't want, you know, the most formal way of saying something. It's also very, you know, and one person's interpretation is another person's lack of understanding. Um, be organized. One of the things that we're able to do now, because we have our programming and outreach unit, is to really spend good quality time outlining, oh my goodness, we have a whole year's worth of outreach opportunities now. We know when that we're going to go to that festival and that fair. We know who's going to be responsible for it. We know how we're going to get that money. We know, we know how to prepare for it. Um, make sure that your message is consistent and uniform. I cannot tell you how important that is. Um, the community doesn't like they, they think actually that if our, we're not consistent, that we don't have our act together, and they're right. Uh, they are so right. Okay, community contacts. Um, one of the things that I wanted to encourage you as you're go undergoing community outreach is that it needs to be independent of the individual. Patty Wong can go out and make all kinds of contacts, but somebody who comes after me needs to be able to do that same thing, and it doesn't have to be just Patty Wong driven, which means. If, if my contact with El Hoven is successful, I need to bring somebody with me so that it's not just me that they're looking at that represents the library. It's the library that's providing the service. That's very important. Um, obviously, you want to be consistent in terms of your contacts with the community. Now, that means a lot of work. It means that somebody has to be thinking about it all the time, and it has to be their primary reason for being. Make it genuine, make it meaningful. The community can tell when we're, when we're doing things half-baked. you know, half -baked. Um, And that leads to developing coalitions. Uh, one of the greatest joys of my life has been really bringing disparate people together. So while they might care, like for instance, um, when I was at the Berkeley Public Library, we had a huge number of African Americans that we traditionally served. Well, in comes a group of, a large group, Chinese, Japanese, and Vietnamese community. Big deal. South, this is South Berkeley. Well, what was I going to do? I have to make sure that my, my metro ministry, my, my, especially the, my African-American ministers and the African-American clergy from different areas met with the Chinese and Japanese and Vietnamese community because I wanted to make sure that these, the, the African-American folks did not feel um, uh, displaced when I started paying attention to these new, newer growing population. So I had to do both at the same time. Now, to be honest with you, that's a hard lesson to learn, and especially hard because the California State Library at that time, with the Partnerships for Change program, did not believe in combining um, different disparate groups of people. Um, but I think as we grow and learn, and this is 15 years ago, the State Library is now very uh, firmly uh, supportive of that idea. But developing coalitions is a very community-based endeavor. And you have to know your community, you have to work well in order for it to be successful. Okay. All right. Um, very briefly, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today is because we don't usually talk about this, which is when has community outreach effort run its course? Now. There are times when you may have done all that you can in one fashion to reach out to a certain segment of the community. And how you can tell is they're coming in. They're responding to, your, um, to other outreach efforts and services. Um, and your program and project goals have been met. Uh, maybe your meetings with these community folks are not as effective anymore. They stop coming because they are actually coming to the library. They're, they're part and parcel. They're with you. They don't need another separate effort to make things happen. Or you can switch streams and try another method, another, another goal, another group, another project. That's what you need to kind of think about as you're moving forward in your process. It's not all one size fits all, and you need to shift a little bit. 
depending upon the needs and the changing needs of your community. I'm not saying that you should give up on community outreach. I'm just saying that you have to be flexible and be in tune with your community as you're moving through the process. Okay, other outreach opportunities. I didn't give you the URL, shame on Patty, but you know what? All of these folks are really well known. Um, the School Corps program at Multnomah County Library, excellent program. They have a dedicated staff that do school visits. They do, um, they provide educator library cards. You know, a lot of us are afraid of that. Um, we've tried to get away ar around teachers having their own library cards for the class. Um, they provide a newsletter. They provide curriculum support. They provide teacher training, student training, training evaluation. Big deal here. Internet safety. Um, and they do specific school um, programs on pirates, on multicultural research, on um, gross and yucky stuff is one of them, um, on space, on pets, on homework help. Um, it's a good group. Check them out. Um, uh, the Public Library of Charlotte Mecklenburg um, with uh, the Children's Theater of, of Charlotte has joined to create a separate building. It's called Imaginon. And what it is, it's a combination of a children's theater and a children's library at the same time. They both jointly funded. The foundations from both are, are involved in it. It's a real good process. Allen County Public Library in Indiana, that's Fort Wayne. Um, they have an outreach services unit that really focuses on retirement centers. That's all they do is seniors. Um, provide the materials. I believe they've reduced the fines and fees. It may not be anything. Um, home homebound services is very big in this particular community. So check it out. Um, lastly, Boulder uh, Public Library, Gada Eltork, I'm just going to do a shout out to her. She has a phenomenal multicultural outreach program. Um, citizenship classes, Arabic literature discussion groups. She goes where a lot of f libraries are afraid to go. She talks pretty openly. When, when all of the issues around the war came out, she was one of the first public libraries to do a huge program on Islam and how community uh, misinterprets Islam and fundamentalism and, and a whole, um, a whole uh, group of programs. Okay, tools for community outreach. I have some, several examples here, but the California State Library at the Library Development Services Bureau has a real fine set of programs on, on diverse communities. Um, I'm sorry that the URL is a little hard to read there. Um, that's that blue writing there. But one of the things I wanted to bring to your attention, even though they are more than 20 years old, Adelante and Harmony and Diversity are online. You can download them. They're in PDF format. They are recommendations for effective library services, Adelante to the Spanish speaking, and Harmony and Diversity to Asian language speakers. They are so, um, so still together. They are so accurate. Unfortunately, keeping the promise is not online. Um, I believe there are a few libraries out there that have cataloged um, their, their court, their, this particular document. Check them out. Um, they're well, well written, and they're still very um, accurate. Um, cultivating change, I talked a little bit about the Partnerships for Change approach. That was looking at your changing demographics and really tailoring your services to look at that. But also one of the things that we know, this was a five-year process, even though it was dated back in 1999, um, a five-year process, we infused that community with community-based programs, and it was all coalition-driven. So we had to develop a coalition. That was the most meaningful part of that process. And of course, it got to be multicultural. It wasn't just one culture versus another. Um, California Cultural Crossroads, we, um, the State Library just came up with, um, with this. It's in PDF on the website. And um, it's really uh, digging a little bit deeper in terms of cultural programming, looking at it from, cultural, from a culturally authentic standpoint. 
which means we work not only with existing community um, groups, but we also keep on reminding ourselves that while we might provide the program, we're not the cultural experts in the community. Our community is, and so working actively to provide those programs, not just bringing the programs to the community. Um, joint ventures, if you ever get into partnering, I love talking about this. I really hope that you'll, your, your coalitions, your community outreach will develop into strong partnerships with community-based agencies to provide and extend and enhance your services. Um, ten reasons to partner, if you get along those ways, um, basically is to further the mission and the vision of the library and the partner. Everything is on, on your, um, your PowerPoint. Um, but really it's to increase the library and partner's visibility. Uh, to try things without taking a lot of risks. We're much better doing things together than we are separately. Um, to, to, um, to develop that base. Create a common vision and mission. Get out of the library. Ugh, that is the hardest thing for some of my staff to understand. Um, you need to, to be visible in the community. Now here's the other thing. Leave your ego at the door. We are, you know, no matter what, I know you have, you're getting your degree and it's great. I, I applaud you for all of that. But you know, we don't have all the answers. And you don't necessarily have to have your MLS to know necessarily how to work with your community. Um, your community members will respond to you. And if they trust you, they will put you in your place. Um, I've had many a, a time for that. And, and I've learned from that lesson. It's a real hard lesson to learn. But leaving your ego at the door is, is, is words of wisdom that I could give to anybody. Um, plan carefully and strategically. Cultivate the relationship. Be flexible. One of the hardest things is that we have a certain timetable. Um, maybe our community meeting room is only booked for this, you know, from this time to this time, and your community group wants to use it past hours. Make it happen. It's not that hard. Um, base your work on the results you want to achieve. Foster a positive can-do attitude. We can do this together. It's, it's a great experience. Time management. Now, you know, I know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm preaching to the choir. You probably are doing more with less anyway. However, one of the things that I want you to, to understand is that we didn't necessarily, unfortunately, go into this to make a lot of money. Um, at, but we can stretch our resources um, without compromising um, quality if we work with our community and, and we work with our partnerships. We can, believe me. You know, my staff has grown a little bit, but we have 109 FTE. We were able to open 218 more hours this July. <laughs> now, are they happy about it? Yes. The community is overjoyed. Our, um, we're open for the first time on Sundays in 20 years. We were able to do that with just the complement of staff we've got because we tweaked it so that staff, we said, okay, on Wednesdays, we're only going to be open from 12 to 8. Everybody can get a morning to work. But the other thing that we're talking about, though, is asking staff to think differently about their schedules. So if we're not open till tw from 12, if we're open, only open at 12, maybe you don't have to show up at 8 o'clock in the morning so that we have to hire part-time staff to cover your evening shift. It's just another way of looking at how we provide service. Obviously, we want you to be culturally observant and responsive. And the answer is yes. We have, a, um, in terms of the programming and outreach unit, we have a library division manager. Um, we have a supervising librarian for programming and a supervising librarian for outreach. We have three librarians dedicated to programming, children's, teens, adults. Three librarians. I took them out of 
the reference. Okay, all right. And um, and then on the um, on the library and the the outreach effort where we have adult literacy, we have youth literacy, we have mobile library, we have our training wheels program, we have families reading together. We have a, a combination of full time and part time staff. We have a librarian for the first time dedicated just to outreach, to managing all of those fairs and festivals and getting. Um, you know, we, ha we actually had him, he did his first press conference the other day, and um, we had uh, seven different media agencies there. That's a big coup for us. Um, so yes, we do have staff that are allocated. What we want to make sure of is that we have a significant amount of, of support at the management level too, so that they're going to like break up all the roadblocks. That's their job. And then of course, then we have the supervisor who kind of makes sure that the operations um, are successful. Now, I did say that I took staff from reference. What I want you to know, though, is that the staff that work in programming and outreach do have public service desk assignments. So whenever there's someone that's been sick or, you know, or ill or on annual leave, all of the staff pull together in that whole central library building to make sure that we cover desks and that we're open and available to the public. So there's a lot of cross-training going on. which was actually um, a very interesting process and not without some pain. Um, I had to learn on my own uh, that the State Library at the time had, um, had only devoted money to our Chinese, Japanese, and Vietnamese community because they were the growing community. Of course, 50% of my community was African American. So we have 20% of the Asian community coming in and 50% of the African American community that had decreased over time but still was a significant part of the population. So what did I do? I knew instinctively that my African American community was not going to be happy if I spent all this infusion of funds to this growing Asian community and I dedicated my discretionary budget to that African American community. Now, by doing so, though, that got some brownie points with me with the African-American ministry. Now, I was already meeting with them pretty regularly anyway. What I needed to convince them of, because they initially said, oh, yeah, we know they're growing. Yes, they're our neighbors. Yes, we care about them, but what's it to us? Um, and, and basically, I had to convince them that what helps one group helps everybody. And we were able to leverage, actually, that Partnerships for Change money to get other financial resources from other places so that I was able to convince them that that was going to work. And I actually made them meet together. And, and how we did that, I tricked them the first time, which means I had a meeting with them and I asked the, uh, the Asian American community to come. And they had to talk to each other. Um, the other thing is we planned programs together. That was a big part. And I take them shopping with me. So let's say, for instance, I go to Marcus Books in Oakland at that time. Um, I went shopping. I took the ministers with me. I said, okay, let's go. Let's hop in the car. Let's go. And they were able to see firsthand that we meant business, that we were, we were keeping our part of the bargain. We were interested in working with the community. Same thing with the Chinese, Jap Japanese, and Vietnamese community. Okay, let's go to San Francisco. You know, let's try to beat San Jose Public Library before they get there because they buy everything. Mm -hmm. So you know, that's really kind of it. And then I would take them. Everybody ate, started eating lunch together, and then we had you know evening meetings, and it, it all started to work. But you need to convince your community that you mean business. I was um, actually very blessed to have a director that really cared about this program. Her name is Regina Manudri. She's now 
She's now um, retired, but she's emeritus. And she actually kind of said, I want you to make this happen, and you have my full support. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that I had to, I had some falling out with the, the other parts of management and administration? Because believe me, I was just a branch manager. I was a supervising librarian, but there were two levels above me. Um, yes, there was a little bit of, um, of resistance, but what I did was a little bit different maybe from some other branch managers in that I actually had a caucus with all of the people that were involved. The head of cataloging, head of tech services, head of um, all of the folks that needed to be involved. And I said, okay, you know what, this is good for business. This is what we're going to try to do. In fact, I won't only get, uh, when, you know, we're getting grant money for this. How much money do you need in order to make this work for your part of the organization? And they needed that support because otherwise it's just one more thing for them to do. So when they saw that we were interested in bringing everybody together and actually putting resources towards that, it made it so much more simple. Um, the other aspect of this is that we had Chinese, Japanese, and Vietnamese language training for my staff, and then we off offered it to other parts of the staff. We paid um, consultants to come in and do that. We also did a fair amount of training before we even embarked on the program um, with all of the staff. We did general staff meetings and talked about the program and how it's going to change things for us. For instance, um, today, I'll just give you an example. Oh, good one. Okay, I'm going to hear about it later, I'm sure. But Family Day in the Park, we were going to have all, my mayor, four city council members come to recognize all of the top readers for Stockton Reads. Of course, it was a busy, busy blustering, rainy day today. I wasn't sure it was going to show up, but I was told by the leader that we were going to be there on the stage at 1230. Well, she had us down for 12 o'clock. Okay, now you think that half an hour is not that a big a deal. It is a big deal to your elected officials because we don't want to look bad. So that's the kind of consistent message I'm talking about. So in order to actually uh, get over that faux pas, <laughs> what we did was I waited at 12 o'clock at the stage, got every, you know, people were coming, and actually we, did, we entertained the young people and the adults for 15 minutes until my, I had already told the elected officials to come at 12.15. Uh, until 12.15, when the elected officials came, so everybody was pretty happy. But that's the kind of consistent message that we're talking about. It could be time. It could be who's invited to come. Um, I'll give you an example that we recently had. I had a staff person who wanted to do um, a tiki party, which, I, believe me, that there's some cultural irrelevancy there right now, but we're working on changing that. Um, and she, she basically wanted to tell the community that we weren't going to have alcoholic drinks. So I said, well, why do you have to put alcoholic drinks in the blurb? Or in the, because that implies something else. So I said, why don't you just say beverages will be served, and that's fine. Um, those are the consistencies that I think we want to we talk about. One of the things um, that was brought to um, the national attention that I'll, I'll just bring up real quickly is that we had a psychic coming to one of our programs. And um, my staff, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, um, chose to really focus on communicating with the dead in a very right-wing Christian community. Okay, now, what does that mean? Uh, did we censor ourselves? I don't think so. I think what I wanted her to do was to talk about, um, instead of communicating with the dead, just say that we were going to have psychic readings. People understand what that means. Um, okay, so I, 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 think, I, I think I've given you some examples.
And I would suggest that you um, do a number of things. One is take advantage of being in school for as long as you can. I wish I did. I wish I took all the classes I could have. Um, there are, you know, one of the great things about San Jose and the San Jose program is that there are students from all over the country that have a wealth of experience and the best thing that I found is that they share that with each other. They're mentoring one another, which is fantastic. Um, I would also suggest strongly that you, um, you find a good mentor um, within either the organization you're working with or, um, or uh, you know, I mentor quite a few young people and, and older people too. Um, you know, if somebody that you, if someone that you find inspires you and gets you excited and, and, and passionate about things, tap them. You know, that's, I, I wish I did. Um, but I had the, I had the good graces of finding um, what I would consider consi uh, considerably experienced mentors in colleagues, in, um, in, um, in directors, frankly. Um, I didn't ask them. I was a little too shy. Uh, back then, I am not anymore because I understand the value of mentoring across, up, sideways, all over the place. The other thing I would suggest to you is not being, don't, don't feel like you have to be mentored by one somebody your whole life, your whole career path. No. Mentors and the mentees know that they benefit from each other at different times. So I've had, maybe I've had maybe 10 mentors in my professional career. And we know when it's time to move on. I have to tell you that I don't, I, I find myself mentored by not just library people. Um, there are many educators. I find a lot of mentors from my UOP, my experience being in close proximity to Pacific and um, the many higher ed people there. I'm mentored by a lot of community people. There's some of the best mentoring going around because they know they're politically savvy. Um, they know the community well. They're able to share without, they don't have any hangups and they don't have any strings attached. Um, and I'm not saying that every mentor is going to come with those things, but you have to be mindful that, and then, you know, your time is valuable, their time is valuable. Make that, um, that role meaningful. Um, and, and understand that they're learning from you too, because I want you to, I do want you to remember that. You have as much to give the person that's mentoring you as they have to give to you. Don't discount yourself, ever. Well, thanks very much, and I uh, hope I have a good evening. Okay. All right.